massage friends. I'm Stephanie Rodriguez. Welcome to the USO LMT Massage Podcast. I'm your host and the founder and executive director of USO LMT, your new massage association. We are here to educate, elevate, encourage, and empower present and future massage therapists to get involved and push our industry forward through positive change. So let's get into today's topic. I am Stephanie Rodriguez. I'm here with the USO LMT podcast. I have two special guests on today. I have Laura Allen and Kelly Bowers. Um, these are both Carolina girls, me too. So it's really exciting to have them both on the show today. Um, I'm going to have both of them um, introduce themselves to you and kind of tell you a little bit about their background. So Laura, why don't you go ahead and go first? Well, I um, actually attended massage school. I went to work as the administrator there and the very next day decided I would sign up to go to school. (laughs) So I've been a licensed therapist since 1999. I spent five years working there at school as the administrator and an instructor. And then I opened a a clinic that I had for 13 years. We'll talk some more about that later when we get to any business questions. Um, But for the past few years, I have been uh, the president of sales and marketing at Cryoderm, which makes massage products and and therapeutic pain relief plant-based products. And I work at home. Um, I'm also the uh, regular columnist in massage and body work for the heart of body work and ethics column. And I have book number 12, I think it is, coming out in the next month or two. So that's me. I'm here. I'm here at home with my dog's and it's sleeting and snowing here, so I hope my dogs don't choose this moment to get in a dog fire or anything <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> right? All right, Kelly, how about you? Uh, I'm Kelly Bowers. I live and work in Durham, North Carolina. I graduated from massage school up in D.C. right after Laura did. I graduated and got licensed in 2000. And about three years later, my school called me and said, would you be interested in teaching business? And I said, I don't know anything about business. And they said, neither does anybody else. (laughs) Sure. And they gave me the CompTA guidelines for what should be in a business course. And I've been teaching business since 2003. That's such a parallel to what happened to me in school because I had been in the restaurant business for more than 20 years and the owner of the massage school used to eat in there all the time so when I sold out I I just told her I said I said I need a job I can type or file or sweep the floor I really didn't care I I wouldn't have cared if it was a minimum wage job I just wasn't going to sit at home and uh, the second day I was there she went oh yeah you can teach marketing and I looked at her and I said I have never taken a marketing class in my life she said she said no but you've had a successful service-based business for over 20 years And this is all about service. So Kelly and I I both got thrown into the fire. (laughs) And I discovered much to my amazement, I love the subject matter. Yeah. I really find it fascinating. And I have no business background academically or practically. And so I go into a class and go, I will teach you what I have figured out so far. And that works for them. Yeah. And I've also written a couple of books, not as many as Laura. I am so looking forward to your next one. I am too. Because we don't really have anything on teaching. Well, there there are 
um, there's one out there that is very, I've actually pulled it off the internet that was written by myself and Ryan Hoime, the mm-hmm. massage nerd a few mm-hmm. years ago. That was not a textbook. It was, it was more of, we both got thrown into the fire. Here's what we learned. Um, but yeah. this one I co-authored with the owner of a Compta approved school and he had originally wanted it for his faculty and the more we got into it, the more we said, you know, this would benefit a whole lot of people. So uh, it is a book for teachers. It'll be out either the end of this month or sometime next month. I'm, I'm looking, I'm going to keep an eye out for it because thank you. I want a copy right away. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, yeah, me too. I just went through your teacher training course and that was great. I really appreciate that. I, uh, you know, this was the beta test for that, basically, of, of uh, that we had to go through to get it approved by the NCB. So everyone has um, everyone has up to a year, you know, to get their um, retroactive certificate whenever it's approved. But I don't have any doubts it will be approved. It's it's a really good course. Durrell um, Lakatis, the owner of that school, has been he has a doctorate in kinesiology and physiology and is very committed to his students and and runs a top-notch school so I was excited he he called me up out of the blue and asked me to collaborate with him on this so I think it's an exciting project and the course and the book also yeah I think the course was really good um I enjoyed it I learned a lot your videos were great even <laughs> even the one with your, your one video, I thought I just said something about my dog. I hope my dogs didn't get in a fight. Stephanie had one video where her child was having a party in the other room. Or something. He was on virtual reality <laughs> and he's screaming in the background. And I'm just like, I'm sorry. Nah, we just had, we just, hey, it's life. You know, I mean, none of us stop living our lives because of what's going on. So it, I thought you handled that very well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. I kind of used to it now. So, all right. So I pulled the group, um, the last couple of days and they, they had two, well, I gave them three options to vote on. And the ones that they voted the most was private practice startup. <clears throat> and then the second one that was very close behind it was scaling your business and hiring employees. So I think maybe we should kind of address both of those today, um, you know, in the time that we have and see what we can get across to help people. So um, let's talk about private practice first. One of the things that I wanted to kind of address is you hear a lot of people, they talk about private practice is not for everyone. So I wanted to address that. What do you think that we need to do if we decide that we want to start a private practice? What, what do we need to have as far as like our character, um, our personality and all of that? Cause I feel like all of that kind of goes into your private practice, your mindset and all that stuff. So what do you think are the biggest things that will make somebody successful personality trait wise for private practice? They have to be dedicated to learning. Not just we, in our industry, we're real good about telling people how to take continuing education for their hands-on skills, but you've got to be dedicated to learning about business and learning from your business and accepting that just sort of stumbling along is not good enough. So you have to be somebody who is motivated enough and who wants to be better at it that improves the odds of you being successful at it. 
Absolutely does. I'll, I'll add to that, that it's been one of my sayings for a long time is that your education is not over when you walk out the massage school door, your education is just getting started. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, if you, if you've uh, never failed at anything, you, here's you, a great opportunity. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. Because I, I have made a lot of mistakes and, you know, I learned a lesson from those mistakes. So, um, I, I did have, you know, 20 something years in another business before I started doing massage and what had been a business owner. Um, and it was a way different thing, you know, to run a restaurant that had, I, I've, I've had some of my restaurants had 80 employees. So, um, it was, it seemed like a real come down to have a little massage practice, but, um, it, it, it's a great experience. You have to want that though. And you have to, um, be passionate about it, I think, in order yeah. to be successful. You have to be patient too. Yes. The notion that you can have that you can have a 25 hour a week hands-on practice up and running in six months is a lovely idea. And that's not how it works for most of us. So patience and a commitment to the long haul. If you only see yourself being a massage therapist for like four or five years, don't go private practice is not the way to go go to work for somebody else do the work that you enjoy go into work do your work go home but private practice is an investment and it's in a long-term investment because it takes for most people two to five years is the sort of standard number to get a private practice up to being self-supporting at whatever level that means for you yeah, we have all seen people uh, of many different kinds of business where a business opens up and six months later, they're out of business. And the thought that I always get is, what did they think? Did they think that within six months, they were going to be drawing some big salary or something? <laughs> yeah, that That's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. And um, so I think you need to have persistence. And before you ever open the doors, be sure that you're committed to giving it a few years to really get off the ground. You may not make the money that you desire the first six months or the first year or even the first two years. So yeah, um, be prepared to be prepared to ride that out whenever you get started. Mm-hmm. I think it also, you've got to be somebody, you don't have to love numbers and you don't have to love finances but you have to be willing to deal with yours. Yeah. You have to be willing to set your prices, raise your prices, do your bookkeeping, file your quarterly taxes. You don't have to love it, but you have to be willing to do it. Yes. And do the kind of planning. I mean, so planning and business plans, they're a lot like weather. We're all predicting the future. And I don't know about y'all's crystal ball, but mine's never been terribly. Mine's cloudy. (laughs) Mine's cloudy, yeah. But but you you gotta take the time to think through the things that will affect your finances. So you've gotta be willing, again, you don't have to love them, but you gotta be willing to deal with numbers and money and finances. And if you're not, you know, if you're not personally mathematically savvy, then get help. Get help. I, I my accountant who praise, you know, I, I hate this, but she's retired, and I'm I'm really glad that I'm no longer really in need of her services. But <laughs> for all the years that I was in business, 
Um, my accountant was a 20 year veteran of working for the IRS, which is the reason wow. I hired her. <laughs> and so she, she kept me on the straight and narrow. You know, I always tell people before they go into a business, um, figure what their break even point is going to be. Mm-hmm. But you also need to take into account what your expenses at home are before you start out because if you're going to have the rent and the utilities etc cetera, etc cetera, for your business bear in mind you've also got rent or a mortgage payment groceries child care medicine insurance on and on and on so you need don't go into it with your eyes shut you need yeah. to make a honest uh, financial survey of yourself and your circumstances before you ever even consider um, opening the door on a private practice because we don't want to see anybody fail. All of us want to see everybody succeed. And um, it, it's tragic sometimes that yeah. people work themselves into horrendous debt or they just never quite get enough to pay their bills and all that. So go into that, please, with a big fat reality check and your eyes wide open. Yeah. I mean, when you've got all these people out there in our industry going, everybody needs to be in private practice. Private practice is the way to go. It's the only way to go. It's real easy to go, oh gosh, I guess I should be in private practice and sort of wander into it without really understanding what that means. Mm-hmm. So in terms of personality traits, a certain um, cautious nature, I don't know if that's actually, before you go into it, don't, I mean, okay, some people are just a dive in and learn as they go and that's who they are and that's how they have to work. But the bigger the stakes for you, the more you need to bring home a certain amount of money, the more important it is that you do your work in advance and you think through things. You know, if you're the second or third income in your home or your home isn't even dependent on your income, you can afford to be a little more loosey-goosey, but it depends on your situation. How critical is it that you hit those numbers because people are depending on your income. Yeah, that's right. So reality-based, reality-based would be a nice personality check. A reality check. Everybody who is considering going into business for themselves needs to have a big reality check. And be the kind of person who's willing to ask for help. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because you cannot know it all going in and there are times you, there's things you just are not going to be good at. And there are going to be times you're desperately confused or you're just so discouraged. Don't try to do it all by yourself. Have people you can talk to either for advice or to give you encouragement, but be the kind of person that can ask for help. Yes. And be realistic about um, somebody, one of y'all brought up traits and everything a moment ago. Be realistic. Now, I would never claim that you could eat off the floor at my house, but I always felt perfectly good saying that you could eat off the floor at my office. I mean, if people would walk in there, <laughs> people would walk in and they would go, oh, it's, it looks so nice and, you know, clean and organized in here and everything. If you hate housekeeping, then you're either going to have to step it up if you open your own practice or you're going to have to hire someone to do that one or the other because um, you cannot roll along with a 
with a messy, I have walked into some massage offices and I went, oh my God, they're really doing massage in here. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Just just because of how messy it was and everything. And and I I even, I had gotten a lot of business years ago when I first opened up my practice of people saying, I I really love so-and-so's massage. And it was a lady up the street and they said, I really love her massage, but good Lord, her office is horrible. And you know, it's, she lost business on account of that. So, yeah. Oh man. I, I have a story about that. So, you know, I was a lead therapist at one of the big franchises and, um, we had some people, you know, the tables, I was like, these tables need to be perfect. You cannot have your sheets on the floor. You know, the fold has to be perfect. The blanket needs to be smooth. And it was just like, months of just trying to drive this point home with staff, like this needs to be perfect. Um, you know, the, we have a little shelf in the corner and the rolled up towels need to be in the perfect position. And it seemed like I felt like Hitler sometimes trying to like, (laughs) trying to like drive the point home, but like the way that it looks is so important. And I see that with a lot of independent therapists that I've been to where it's just kind of like, you know, they don't really care as much, or it's, it's just, it doesn't present the same type of thing that so many people are used to walking into a franchise that maybe is actually elevating and really caring Mm -hmm. about their appearance. Um, so I think that's something really important for independent contractors or independent therapists to look at. Yes. Yeah. You gotta care. You, if you think that the massage that you do while you're, they're on the table, is the only thing they care about, you're wrong. That's right. It's the primary thing they care about. And they may not even be conscious of the other things they care about, but they care about how they're greeted. They care about whether you're on time. They care about how sloppy is your space. They care about how much of a pain in the butt is it to make an appointment with you. (laughs) They care about the whole experience. (laughs) And having great hands-on skills is of course central, but it's not exclusive. Mm-hmm. No, you know, there is a, there is a, a term in, um, I guess you would say the healthcare business uh, industry of all, altogether called quality of care. And to me, quality of care doesn't, does not just mean how good of a massage you give, which is subjective opinion anyway from people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it depends on everything, you know, that Kelly and I have said, uh, and Stephanie about the cleanliness and whether or not you're greeted and whether or not you're on time. If you're a person that cannot be on time in massage school, are you going to be on time for your clients? I don't think so. (laughs) And, you know, it, it really ticks me off. This is not a doctor's office or an emergency room where you go into an appointment, expect to be waiting forever. This is massage. If your appointment's at one o'clock your appointment should start at one Mm o'clock. Yeah. 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 So once we, once we decide, hopefully people got some tips out of that, but once, (laughs) once we decide like, um, that we want to do private practice, we do have the right mindset, this right, you know, personality type to be able to run the business. Then like, what are the first steps? Like, what are all these things people have to think about? Because there is a lot that goes into opening a business. A lot of people jump in at the, let me find a space. Let me come up with a name for my practice. Let me set my rates. And I, when I, when I teach business in schools, when I teach it anywhere, 
first, there's some questions you have to answer about yourself and about what you want. You know, why do you want to be a private practitioner? What do you want out of massage? Who is a good fit for what you can offer? Where do you find those people? What do you need for take-home pay? There's like five questions I think everybody should answer before they get started because every decision after that, including what are you going to call yourself? What location are you going to be based out of? Is going to have some foundation in those questions. And I don't see us I don't see us explaining that well to people because even when you're in a group of massage therapists who are successful practitioners, they'll say, okay, now you got to become an LLC and you got to do this and you got to do that. Or when people are saying, how do I improve my marketing? My first question is, well, what is it you offer and who are you trying to attract? Well, anybody? No, no, not just, okay, first year or two, get all the bodies you can get. But you should be working towards what you want and what you need. So it's worth it to take a little time to figure that out before you get started. Yeah. One of the first things that I did the, the first week that I was in private practice, and of course that, that first week I was open, people were not beating the door down. <laughs> um, I sat there, I sat there and created a database for myself of all the Doctors. Now, I, I live in a rural county in North Carolina. It's actually North Carolina's largest county area-wise, but it's very rural. There's three little small towns. My town has a population of about 4,000 people. And so I sat there and, and using Google and the phone, the phone book, which used to exist. Y'all remember phone books? <laughs> um, I use those to create a database for myself of doctors and dentists because I focused on dentists because I love doing TMJ work. And I composed a letter and sent it out to them, inviting them to an open house and telling them that, you know, that we all telling them what we offered. And I immediately within two or three days of sending that out, I get a call from one doctor's office and it was it was the office manager. And she said, now, I just want to be sure about this. You're not expecting us to, you know, bill insurance or anything for you. All you want is for us to refer people. And I said, yes, ma'am, that's what I want. And it ended up the 13 years I was there that about 20% of my business was doctor and dentist referrals. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to be known as medically oriented practice. However, also when I first opened, I had people calling that said, you know, do you do body wraps? Do you do um, salt scrubs and this, that, and the other? Now I wasn't, I wasn't, I hadn't really thought of doing those things, but I thought, now, if people go somewhere else to get that service, they're probably going to get their massage while they're there. Yeah. <laughs> so, or, or at least patronize that place. So I put on a few small um, things like that, that, you know, did not require a total big spa, um, a water-based spa to do. And that was a, a boon to my business. It truly was. Yeah. Yeah. So seek what you want. Now, Stephanie, for example, you focus on relaxation massage, don't you? Mm -hmm. You know, something that that's so valuable. And I mean, people, people are stressed out now. It doesn't even matter if you are ill or in pain. Stress exacerbates that. 
And if you're ill or in pain for long enough, it will cause you to be stressed. So there's plenty of opportunity for those who want to focus on re, uh, relaxation massage, plenty of uh, opportunities for those who prefer to have a medically oriented practice. There's yeah. opportunity for everyone. You just have to decide what it is you want and then go for that. Yeah. I mean, I've done both. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody does come in, even if they're on vacation and they're at a five-star resort, that doesn't mean that we can't help with their back pain. You know what I mean? Even if we have them for an hour and a half body treatment, we're still going to give them a massage. Yeah. And so it doesn't mean that we can't focus on an area that hurts or something like that, just because we work at a spa. So that's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, and when people, some of my regular clients who have come in for a very specific sort of medical condition will say, do you do like regular massage? <laughs> like, yeah, we can do that too. <laughs> could you could you describe a regular massage? <laughs> yeah, what exactly is that? They're basically they're looking for what I consider a health and wellness massage. Yeah. They don't have anything that's really problematic, but it's just healthy to have somebody lay hands on you and bring that nervous system down the skosh and make you feel like you live in your body again, and like your head is clear, those things have huge concrete value. Absolutely. I'm in dire need of it right now myself. <laughs> Me too. Well, let's talk about retaining clients. <laughs> How about that? I think that um, this is a really good subject. We need to bring this up um, as far as once you do get people in the door and you got people coming in, I think that being able to retain your clients is the most important thing that you need to do after that. So how do we make sure that we can retain our clients and keep them coming back? You've got to get comfortable with the rebooking conversation. You've absolutely got to get comfortable. For some reason, we are, we, our industry has gotten into this Rebooking is all about money. Rebooking is not about money. It leads to money, but it's not about money. It's sort of the bookend to the session. The first bookend is the intake. When you figure out what they need and what your plan's gonna be. The other bookend is the rebooking conversation. Based on what you wanted, how did we do? I recommend, or would you like to? They're bookends, they're part of the therapeutic process. It is not a marketing tool. It's a therapeutic process. And so one, we got to quit thinking about it as, oh, get them to rebook because rebooking is about how you make money. Well, it is, but that's not its primary purpose. I used to, um, in my practice, I offered package deals. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you paid up front for 10 massages, you got one free. Now, of course, it wasn't free. It just, <laughs> with, my, with my pay scale there, it took, $10 off the cost of each massage if you if you did that so I sold a lot of those over the years but you know as Kelly mentioned getting comfortable with that conversation the very first massage that I ever gave for money um, and licensing was not yet in in North Carolina uh, mm. the licensing was not started yet so um, I was working at the massage school and there was a clinic there and, and people who were not licensed yet were still allowed to charge money because no laws existed yet. Now they do. But the very first paying client that I had, when the woman was still in the room getting dressed and I was out front at the desk, I was having this whole stupid conversation in my head of going, should I ask her to make another appointment? I don't want to look pushy. 
you know, and I was going back and forth, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> and when she came out of the room, she was, you know, praising the massage and everything and, and gave me a nice tip. And she started out the door and she, and I'm sitting there like a dummy. She started out the door and she turned around and said, aren't you going to ask me if I want to make another appointment? <laughs> and I thought, well, you idiot, you need to get over that right there. So that was the last, that was the only time that I didn't ask someone. And I learned over the years not to say, would you like to make another appointment? I would say, when would you like to make another appointment? <laughs> yeah. 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 Those words matter. Yeah. They Absolutely. do matter. They do matter. And you know something, I mean, we've all had those people who they come once a year, they get a certificate for their birthday or Christmas mm -hmm. or something, and they come once a year and you never see them any other time. Then you've got those people like my package deal people who were there every week or every two weeks or something like that. And everybody in between. I don't live in a tourist area, but I'm on the main road on the way to a couple of tourist areas. So, you know, we often got people who were from out of state or out of town that would just come in one time and that would be it. You'd never see them again. But um, rebooking is a is a the way to build your business. It truly is. Yeah. Half of it is superb customer service. Like I said, just your hands-on work is not enough. You have to create an experience in all the little things you do that make them feel welcome. It's it's approaching your clients from actually a point of view of hospitality. Mm -hmm. How would you, what would you do to make somebody comfortable in your home? What do you do to make somebody comfortable in their working relationship with you, in your space, in your policies? How do you make it comfortable and easy to be your client? That's yeah. a good point, Kelly. Very good point. I will say, um, working at the franchise, I had one of the highest rebooking rates of anybody. And I maintained it the whole time that I worked there is about a 60% rebooking rate. And the one thing I did, well, I took Gail Wood's rebooking course and I thought that was great. I actually taught it to all of the therapists that worked there um, because it was just so amazing for me. And I was like, this is working. <laughs> and one of the things that I would do with my clients is, you know, you don't have a lot of time after sessions at, a, you know, in an environment like that. So I would just pull up my chair beside their table, you know, right, right at the end of the session. And I would talk to them, but I always had that like treatment plan in mind. And I would say, I would say, you know, we, we took care of this today, but I think you need to come see me every week for a few weeks. And then let's, let's reassess then and see how you're doing. And that would always get people booking way faster. So yes, they would come back, you know, for the next three weeks. And then I talk to them again, see how they're doing. And maybe they come back every two weeks after that. And then we do that for a while. And then, you know, it's every month, but that would really help keep people on my table. And that's really, that's, that's not a trick it's a i'm a professional i yeah. am the professional in this room you have trusted your body to me what have i learned about your body and what is my professional opinion about what comes next this is this is not a this is not a trick it's a service as a professional that you should be offering if you figured things out about their body and you refuse to say anything about it, how are you doing them any good? That's true. There, and there is a fine line between diagnosing people yeah. and 
and recognizing some problem that they have. And, you know, something I've, I've experienced people that will call and, oh, they're just dying. They've got to get in today and all that kind of stuff. And I, and tell me what's wrong with them. And then I will say, how long has this been bothering you? Oh, about two years. Oh, okay. So you've lived with it two years, but you've got to get in here today. <laughs> of course they do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, so the next thing I want to talk about with the private practice are, you know, it takes kind of like these, you have, you, I feel like you need to plan your, your year out as much as you can when you're in private practice. And it kind of takes having, knowing what your daily steps are, knowing what your weekly steps are, what do you have to do every month? And then, you know, what are those annual things you have to do? And I just wanted to ask you two, like, what do you think are some of the things people might kind of like forget to do, you know, on their daily basis, their weekly, their monthlies that are really important. Do you want to go first, Kelly? Uh, well, there are things that they need. I think you should do your bookkeeping every day because I think the more you trust your memory to remember it for three, four, five days, or God help you two, three weeks, the more you're not the more you're missing stuff. And the stuff you're putting in your bookkeeping are your deductions that reduce your tax bill. And if that's important to you, you should be doing your bookkeeping for most of us every day. I do mine once a week because I don't have that many transactions. But when I was seeing clients every day, I did my bookkeeping every day. I did too. And QuickBooks is simple to use. Or even if you just use an Excel spreadsheet, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I enter my tax deductions daily. I'm one of these anal people that checks my bank account daily. Uh, I reconcile my checkbooks daily. I've got, you know, several different accounts and a personal account and a business account. And so I, I enter things on my spreadsheet the day that they happen or, or they're either laying here on my desk and going, okay, I need to enter that tomorrow. I don't have time today, but um, on, on January 1st for years and years, it's been my habit to get everything together for my tax person. And you know what? All I had to do was click that button. It said some, uh, <laughs> on January 1st this year, because I had been very, very diligent about entering things. Um, and that worked out. The other thing that I will add to Kelly's bookkeeping every day, I scheduled 30 minutes every morning to spend on marketing activities for my business. Now, that could have been writing, the, writing a newsletter. Um, when I first started in business, I actually used to send out paper newsletters. Didn't take very long for that to get out of hand, and I started doing them electronically, um, except for a couple of very elderly people that I knew did not use the computer. So I would either be writing a newsletter, I would be talking to um, a, a vendor at the radio station or something, um, I would be doing something to market my business. And I just scheduled that on my time. It might've been creating a new ad or updating the website or whatever. And um, you have to schedule your marketing time in. Otherwise it, it's going to fall by the wayside. I always kept a calendar with all the annual events that I wanted to participate in because I knew that, you know, we wanted to be at the May Fest and we wanted to be at the October Fest and we wanted to be, Mm-hmm. Um, at this festival and that festival and our chamber of commerce always announced those things well in advance. So I would just always put those things on my calendar and be ready for them. You know, whenever they rolled around, I wasn't going, 
I wasn't going, oh, Lord, I forgot to get a booth at the Mayfest or whatever. I've always stayed on top of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And Kelly, you have a book about tax deductions, right? It's called Quite Creatively. Can I deduct that? <laughs> <laughs> and it's 100 things you can or possibly can't take as business deductions. The next, the 2022 version should come out in February because I co-author it with an accountant out in Oregon. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, it's a fun, it's a fun book actually. Well, okay. I'm a little weird about this. I find it very enjoyable because for me, it was a great partnership with Margot Bowman because she's a subject matter expert, but she sort of can't write in normal people language. <laughs> I've taken I, a class from her. I've taken yeah. a class from her in the past. Delightful person. Yes. You kind of got to work with her to get her to come down the language you understand. And so she would give me stuff and I'd go, oh, wow, what does this mean? And I'd rework <laughs> it and I'd be working and go, okay, and I'd give it back to her. Is this what you meant? And she's like, well, mostly, but this part isn't. And she'd give it back to me and I'd fix that. And we would go back and forth and it's a delightful working relationship. And our goal every year is how can we make this book more how can we make this book easier to use? What more can we tell you? Are there new deductions we need to add? Are there, are there better ways to explain things than we've been explaining them? And I, I enjoy putting that book out. Somebody said, I, I want to know when it comes out every year because I buy a copy for every therapist who works for me. That's great. Mm-hmm. I, I actually took class from Margot. It's probably been 20 years ago, but everything she said directly impacted my, you know, the way that I was doing things. And so uh, between her and my and my IRS accountant, <laughs> I always I always felt like I was uh, good to go. I will say that in my business, I had some people who had employee status, and uh, my my business actually grew to um, to have twelve practitioners in it, which ain't bad in a town of four thousand people. And so um, my accountant um, had told me that I was the only person. She said, out of all the people I know who use. Um, contract labor she said you are the only one that actually abides by the rules and so I had some ICs and I had some who were employees uh, but I was always very careful about that because who wants to be in trouble with the IRS (laughs) and you know it is a it is a chronic thing in this in this profession that there are a whole load of people who are misclassified as independent contractors when they should really be classified as um, as employees, so yeah. get Kelly's book and get yourself an accountant that will keep you on the straight and narrow, so that you don't yeah. get in trouble down the road. Because if you ever get audited, it will not be the independent contractor that gets into trouble. It will be the business owner who was misclassifying them that gets into trouble. So you yeah. need to be, you know, I hate to say you need to be scared of that, but you need to be oh, scared enough. You should be scared. You, you of the need IRS. to be. Yeah. You need to be scared enough that you're doing things the right way so that the IRS doesn't send you a letter one day saying, by the way, you had these people misclassified, you owe us $10,000. And, and believe me, they will do it. I know people we'll that has it. happened. To. Well, and the book even has a section on how to hire an accountant. And I just sent my report into my accountant about an hour ago because I'm on my annual business retreat. That's why I'm in the beach. And one of the first things I do is I close out my bookkeeping for the year fix the little mistakes that I always find in there, put the report together and send it off to my accountant. Done. 
I definitely want to talk about your uh, business retreat, but I had a comment too. Um, on the USOLT blog, I actually just wrote about the differences between the independent contractor and the W-2 employee. So that's a resource that's out there. I did a handout for the Massage Boss Summit, and I have an Excel chart of the differences between your W-2 employee and your um, independent contractor. And we also go into kind of the cultural differences of what that looks like inside your business. So that's on the blog. It's available for download. Anybody can get that simple, easy tool to use. So, um, all right. And then Kelly, let's talk about your business retreat. (laughs) I really wanted to talk about that. Yeah. This is number 20. Every year in January, I take a four-day weekend and I go away somewhere because I tried to do it at home one year and that was a complete disaster. And I go away somewhere and I go away somewhere I, I think is going to be fun to be in. You know, I go to the beach, I go to the mountains, I go to parks. And day one is always getting there, getting set up and some kind of self-care. Whether that's a massage, I took myself out to a nice dinner and a movie last night. Day two is always about the year that just ended. So in this, you know, this year, how did 2021 go for me? That includes closing out my bookkeeping and sending my report off to my accountant, but also taking a hard look at, okay, where did I make money this year? What worked based on what I had hoped for at the beginning of last year? What didn't? Digging around through my numbers to see what it can tell me about who's a stronger client, who's a weaker client, where can things grow, where are things going to contract? But looking at last year, and kind of getting clear about how last year was. Day three is about this year. What do I want in 2022? What are my upcoming big expenses? What education do I wanna take? What conferences might I want to attend? All of this year, what am I, what's my goal for just this year? Not like my whole goal as a business, but like what are one or two things that are really important to me this year? Take a crack at a budget for the year, which is always entertaining to see how that becomes relevant. (laughs) But it's all about what do I want this year to look like for me? And then day four, sort of closing things up, maybe a little more self-care and going home. Mm -hmm. But it's, and, and the great thing is day two and three, when I'm doing most of the work, doesn't take all day. It takes four or five hours max. And then I have the rest of the day. I have a stack of trade publications like the AMTA journal, the ABMP, and the, you know, so I got a stack of those I'm hoping to get to this afternoon. And it's, and I take naps and I go for <laughs> walks because that falls under self-care. That's right. Yes. That's right. Yeah. So it's just, it's a concentrated time to look deeply at my business and kind of set myself up for the year to come. Mm-hmm. I think that's I a great know. idea. I wish I wish I was on one. <laughs> Me too. Me too. You know, I've never taken a personal retreat away from my husband and my son in the last eight years, <laughs> but I should. <laughs> and you don't have to make it a four day. You could make it a one day retreat. I mean, just like one day I'm going to do my bookkeeping, clean out my bookkeeping for the end of the year, or I'm going to take one day and kind of plan this coming year. Do a little one-page business plan just for this year. Um, just, but I really recommend leaving the house. <laughs> yeah, you, you'd be amazed how desperately you feel like you need to wash the inside of your dishwasher. <laughs> if it's that, or figure out your budget for the year. <laughs> you know? 
For sure. Yeah. I feel that every day. <laughs> uh, I think one thing that's important to mention, that is a, that is a great, great idea. Uh, I think one thing that's important to mention is that our needs and our goals change, mm -hmm. you know, maybe from year to year or, or certainly, you know, when Stephanie is half my age, I'm sure maybe not even that old. Um, but you know something, I don't, I don't want or need the same things that I had mm -hmm. when I was 20. Yeah. I'm 62 now and I have, I have different goals. I want everyone to realize that there is not a definition of success. Mm. Success, success is whatever that is to you. Because some people want 30 clients a week, 50 weeks out of the year and two weeks off to go on vacation. Some people want four or five clients a week and plenty of time to spend at home with their children and their family or whatever. So whatever that idea is to you, don't let anybody rain on your parade and say, well, that's not a very big goal to reach for. It's not or their you're goal. Not a real it's your goal. Therapist. Exactly. It's, it's your goal, not anybody else's goal. So um, I think the retreat idea is a great thing. And it, and uh, as Kelly mentioned, she's looking at the coming year and what is it that I want during the coming year. So um, yeah. that's going to be a personal thing to, yeah. to everybody. My retreats happen. My husband likes to go fishing with my brothers. They go deep sea fishing and I don't really go anywhere. I just hang at the house while he's gone. <laughs> so that's, that's, kind, so that's nice though, isn't it? <laughs> that's okay. That's your quiet time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Serious. Serious. And it's, you know, it's a treat to say, I'm going to go to the beach because I love the beach in winter or yeah. I'm going to oh, go yeah. to the mountains or I'm going to go to this place. You know, I pick somewhere I want to be anyways not too many distractions though Disney World would be a terrible place to have a business retreat yeah but you know I'm here at Carolina Beach I can have some nice meals I can go for a walk on the beach that's good I'm good that's sounds good to me yeah. yeah yeah well let's talk a little bit um about scaling your business before we go because there are some people that definitely wanted to hear about that and I know Laura has a good story about scaling her business and hiring employees, right? So we wanted to hear a little bit about that. Well, you know, something that my business opened up under a little bit of strange circumstances. I was still working at the massage school and two therapists that I knew approached me and wanted myself and, and my husband, who is, I'm remarried now. This was my husband, Champ, that is deceased. He was a massage therapist too. And they approached us and wanted us to go into business with them. So we discussed this for a long time. We drew up a legal contract and almost from day one of it, they did not do what they had agreed to do. So I was getting, I was getting more and more distressed. I called up one of my mentors and she said, what do you want to happen? Do you want them to leave? And I said, well, if they're not going to uphold their end of the contract, yes, I wish they would. So my mentor said, keep your mouth shut. I promise you it's all there. No, they're not doing what they're supposed to. And it's going to come to a head shortly. So to make a long story short, they came into the office, burst into tears, said they wanted to move to Florida. Uh, and I kind of went, I hope you have a very nice life. <laughs> so there I was then champ at the time was, you know, full-time building business. He just, you know, had massages more for his self growth. I think than anything else is why he went to school. Um, but he was in business. So there I was sitting in a very nice suite of offices that had four treatment rooms and little old me. 
So I started looking for another therapist. I found one. As soon as she got saturated, I found another one. I found another one. I ended up uh, over this 13 year period, I ended up with three connecting suites of offices and 12 treatment rooms and a classroom and a sauna room and all this. One thing that I did that is probably not going to work for people that are in a big city, but in a small town like the one that I live in, I knew people who were going out of town to get services that were not available here. So I called them up and I said, hey, if there was a raw for here, would you come here instead of driving all the way to Asheville? You know, if I had lymphatic drainage here, would you come here instead of driving to Charlotte to get that and whatever? So I called up some of my old teachers and some therapists that I knew in, in other places that were, you know, within an hour or two of travel here. And I said, how many clients would you need to make it worth your while to come here one day a week? So what I ended up having was a rolfer that stayed there for eight years, a lymphatic drainage therapist that when she got to the point where people were waiting three months to get an appointment with her, I persuaded one of my staff members to go take that training. And I had an acupuncturist there for about eight years. I actually am the only person on, I, I was the only person. I have a student that came to one of my marketing classes that ended up doing the same, but I'm the only therapist that I knew up until my student came along that hired a chiropractor to work for me instead of <laughs> a therapist working for the chiropractor. Nice. So, you know, it was also had an, uh, I had a, an esthetician there and a nutritionist and you know I just built a group practice of a lot of people that none of them were there now uh, my regular massage therapists were there all the time of course but these other people who had specialties that previously had not been available here were available one or two days a week in the chiropractor's pla uh, place he had another practice that was uh, in a town about 25 miles from here he was there three days a week and three days a week he was in his other practice so um, I, I built my business in that manner and, um, and, and it served me very well. I actually, the last year of my practice, I hired someone to run the office for me because my husband was terminally ill with cancer and I, I wanted to be at home with him. So um, in 2016, I, I thought, you know, I, I don't really need this headache. So I'll tell you what I did. I actually continued to pay six of my therapists to continue honoring the gift certificates and packages that were out there for the next 18 months. And, you know, I advertised it heavily that our business was closing. I contacted all the people who had package deals still out. I got the Chamber of Commerce to announce it. I announced it on Facebook and asked everybody in the county that saw it to share it. Um, and so I, I opened that business with integrity and went out of it in the same way. So that was, that was a big deal to me to be able to honor all those people. I left our website and our Facebook page up, you know, with the list of therapists and how they could be contacted that would, that would honor those certificates. But uh, I, I built a, I built a pretty big business in a pretty small town. And uh, I had a lot of, I had a lot of help. I was blessed with great therapists and, um, the chiropractor that worked with me actually passed last year and, it, you know, I was just stunned because he had continued practicing. He, he developed a terminal illness. He kept on practicing. He saw his last client on a Thursday and passed on Saturday. So oh. I was blessed with very great people that worked with me the whole time. I had hardly any turnover 
because my goal was to, you know, have a happy place to work, you know what I mean? And so um, I always gave my therapists continuing education classes, you know, that they didn't have to pay for. And it was just a good situation all around. Well, you, you, all of that reminds me of one of the things I think we don't think about when we decide we're going to go from one person to two or three or four is that you fundamentally change. You're no longer a massage therapist running your practice. You're now a business manager who also sometimes gets to do massage. Yeah. That you're not just picking up another person, you're picking up management responsibilities, you know, contracts and keeping up with things and replacing people and figuring out when to grow and figuring out when to bring on services. The practice I'm at just added a formal laundry service because we had maxed out all of the more local, you know, one person's, I mean, we had to step up. We needed a formal laundry service and it, it takes time to do the research, yeah. to have the conversations, to look at the contract. So when you've got people, when you bring people into your practice, they're kind of trusting you also to generate work for them. Mm -hmm. So you've got business management, but your marketing needs to be even more rock solid. Because by joining you, yeah, they're an independent contractor. They can bring in their own people. That's great. But they joined you because they wanted you to have, you to put some people on their table too. That is one thing that, you know, when you expand a business to include other practitioners, you take on a lot of responsibility. And the bottom line is you're the one who's responsible for everything. It doesn't matter how many people are there. If you're the owner of the business and your business is dirty, that's a reflection on you. You know, if one of your therapists is nasty and impolite to people, that's on you. I mean, everything concerning the business yeah. is on you and you're the one taking on all of the financial responsibility. So you need to be sure that you're cut out for the mindset that it takes to do that before yeah. you before you decide to expand. You know, I know a lot of therapists who have expanded. I also know a lot who are still practicing by themselves after 20, 25, 30 years. And they're happy with what they have. And folks, mm -hmm. the older I get, the more I realize nothing is more important than your serenity. Yes. <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you, you can't buy that. You just can't buy it. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're in business already, perhaps, and you have other people working for you, you know, there came a point in my life and, and it was due to my husband's sickness, but there came a point in my life when I thought this is consuming me and this is what I don't, you know, I don't need to focus on this now. I need to focus on his health. And so that was a, a, a life-changing circumstance. And sometimes those things happen to people or sometimes they just get a, a, a little jolt of realization there that, you know, I've done this for X amount of years and I'm no longer happy with the way I'm doing it. So what can I change to make it better? And then just take some action. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have seen in the, um, I'm in a couple of massage employer groups that we have on Facebook. And I've definitely seen a lot of people in the last couple of weeks being like, I wish I didn't hire these people. I wish I did not have, I wish I would have just stayed in private practice. I've seen a lot of people say that. And it's just, it's a bummer that, you know, it happens that way, but you know, part of it might be just not knowing what you're getting into. And then it's a, yeah. it's a lot of stress to handle people. You've got, you've got a lot of added responsibilities. I see too many casual conversations 
online where somebody's like, I'm so full, I'm booked three months out. I don't know what to do. It's like, oh, just add some massage therapist to your practice. You'll be good to go. And I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> not that simple people. Step back. And one of the things that came out of COVID that I noticed, because I think we lost easily 25% of the massage therapists we had pre-COVID. Yeah. We are mm-hmm. a much smaller field. So people who are practicing, many of them are bumping up against that. I've got more clients than I can deal with. I, I'm booking months out what do I do? It's like, oh, wow, success. This is what it looks like. Like you just smile and keep on booking. That's right. (laughs) But I think the, well, just add more people. I think there's, that's a whole nother transition point when you realize you are maxed out. And it's, it hurts us to have to say no to people. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's stressful to therapists to always be saying no or to be saying yes in four months, I can get you on the books, you know? So I think that was one of the things that I have seen growing out of COVID that's been real interesting. How many people for the first time in our profession are going, well, crud monkeys, I'm overbooked. What do I do now? Because, you know, it's, we're all about, most of us were talking about our business, like, how do I get more clients? How do I fill my schedule? How do I get more clients? How do, whoa, I got too many clients. Whoa, back off people. You know, what do you do when you hit that point? That's mm-hmm. been kind of fascinating for me to watch as one of the things that came out of COVID. Yeah. It is because people have had um, childcare issues during yeah. COVID. They're the homeschooling thing going on with classes being remote. And I've seen a lot of therapists, including here in my town right now, that are going through the issue of all the child care is full. They can't find anybody to take care of their child. They're having to, um, they're having to rearrange their schedule, rearrange their clients. Um, you know, it's been a very big, a very big challenge for a whole lot of people. So if it's causing you more stress than it's bringing you joy, Think long and hard about that, folks, because I'm at the place in my life where I want less stress and more joy. <laughs> yes, yes absolutely. I wanted to ask you, so when you're thinking about hiring a new employee, um, hiring somebody else, I want to kind of talk about like the cost of that. So, I mean, what I'm seeing, like the cost to hire a new employee is somewhere, it's around $5,000, not a ton of money, but just the hiring process of getting somebody into your door is around five grand. But what would you say like minimum, if you are going to hire another person, what kind of cash flow do you need to be having and how much money do you need to have to be able to do that comfortably and make sure that person's going to continue to be paid while they're building up their books? I have nothing to offer on this because I've never hired anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's all yours. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, something I was blessed. One of the best therapists that I ever had in my office uh, was a young lady that graduated from massage school. She came walking into my business and wanted a job. And at the time I really didn't have one available. But my office was located in a professional um, strip there on Main Street. And subsequently, because it was on Main Street, sometimes people would just walk in the door, you know, wanting, thinking that they could get a massage right then, which usually was not going to happen. And so she said, she said, well, she said, you don't have to pay me. Do you think I could just sit here and take up uh, overflow clients? And I, I said, sure, if you want to do that. You know what? The next day she came into work. And 
she had only been there a few minutes and she said, do you mind if I, if I walk uptown? She said, I've got my cell phone. I can be back here in just a few minutes if anyone calls. I did not ask her what her purpose was or anything else. She grabbed a handful of brochures and business cards and went out the door. In an hour, she came back and she said, I have an appointment at two, one at four and one at six. <laughs> she had gone into every business and introduced herself to the people on Main Street and said, I, I'm the new massage therapist at Therasage. That was the name of my business. I'm the new massage therapist. And she got three appointments just like that. So, you know, I, I was lucky that everyone that I got there over the years either already had some business and they had got tired of working for themselves and being responsible for rent and all that. And they wanted to come and work for me. So um, I, I would always, I had the desire when I opened that to pay people a, a, better than average wage because I saw that on Facebook and massage forums all the time of people complaining about how little they got paid and how much money they had in school debt and all that kind of stuff. And it was my grandiose um, idea that I wanted to pay people above average. Well, you know what, folks, I did that for, for years. And one day I thought to myself, you know, this is no longer sustainable for me because the I'm the one responsible for paying all the bills here. And it had got to the point where we were so busy that, um, and, and as the years went by, I said, the old gray mare ain't what she used to be. I can no longer do nine massages a day the way I used to. And so um, I, I came to the realization that subsequent people that I hired were, have, were going to have to be on a lower pay scale and that that I had some people there who I needed to have a serious conversation with about the amount of money they were making versus the amount of money that I was making. And um, I, I ended up having to have some hard conversations with people. And, you know, something, everyone that I've said, you know, something, I need to cut the pay scale here um, because I'm the one with all the responsibility and, and all the therapists here, all the good therapists are making more money than I am. <laughs> and so, you know, something, one person, uh, and it wasn't the person that I expected. I had actually called a meeting with everyone, had lunch catered in, and I said, we're about to have a hard conversation here. And one person said, it doesn't cost you that much to run this place. The, <laughs> rent, on, the rent on my building was $2,200 a month because I had these three connecting suites. So I had been prepared of that. So I had printed out a few pages of my QuickBooks that I was willing to hand out. And she looked at it for about five minutes and she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. So mm -hmm. I had that difficult conversation of, you know, it was my desire to pay people better than average, but I'm making way less money than y'all are. And I so think, I yeah. did a, I did a total revamp on my business for about the last five years that I was in business uh, and made things more equitable to where I was getting paid what I was worth they were still getting paid way more than they would have been paid elsewhere in the county. Uh, but sometimes you have to make adjustments like that. So I can't say that I had a standard payment that I paid people because I had therapists there who made um, differing amounts of money based on their years of experience. Of course, somebody that just walked in the door out of school was not going to get paid the same as someone who had 20 years of experience. You know, my independent contractors, the lymphatic drainage therapists, they, the Rolfer and all those people, they set their own prices. And I went along with whatever they said. And I actually 
you know, took took less money from them for the rent because they were all traveling a distance to get there. So you just have to be very careful when you're initially That's thinking right. about taking on someone else. And you may you may go, well, um, they're griping about making $20 an hour at Massage Envy, so I'm going to pay them 40 Look long and hard at that before you make a an emotion-based decision like that. And that's, I've seen other therapists do that. When they grow, they're like, I don't want people complaining they're not making enough. I don't want to be one of those people yeah. who has a practice they're not making enough. Like, They start with the maximum they can imagine paying yeah. somebody. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, one, you gave yourself no room for growth. That's mm-hmm. right. You gave yourself no room for flexibility. And you gave yourself no room for generosity. Yes. That you kind of you kind of locked yourself in yes and um that's i think that's not an uncommon mistake with people who really care that massage therapists have trouble making enough money well Mm -hmm. also you've got to realize you have to realize that when they're employees you're also matching their social security and their medicare Mm -hmm. Um, there are Stephanie pulled, you know, out the $5,000 number there, but I mean, having employees is expensive, (laughs) you know, especially if you're going to offer any sort of benefits, it's, it's an expensive proposition. So, um, I I did have that mindset. I was one of the guilty right here of going, I want to pay therapists what they think they deserve to be paid. But then as the business owner, and, and you're the one with your name on all the bottom lines there, and you're making half the money that your massage therapists are making, you better be realistic about that, folks. And, you know, if you can only afford to pay $20 an hour, then don't offer people $40 an hour because you don't want to look like one of those bad employers. You have to have hard conversations with yourself and sometimes hard conversations with people. Yeah. Everyone, every one of my people... Mm-hmm supported me when I when I made that move I had I had had this meeting with my staff the first day of October and I said this is all going to take effect on January the 1st if you feel that you cannot you know I didn't just cut people's pay there on the day that I had that meeting I said this is all going to take place on January the 1st if you feel that you can not work for the new rate that I've offered you um, then you know, I would like for you to let me know by December the 1st, and you'll need to be out by December the 31st, and I had one person that left, good luck to her, she's still practicing as far as I know, Uh, and the rest of the rest of my staff members stayed with me and, and went along with it, they all got free continuing ed every year, and you know, I I tried to be a good boss, (laughs) I think we, I think all bosses try, right? Nobody goes into business to think like, I'm going to be a bad business owner. This is going to be fun. I'm the villain, right? Nobody does that, you know? So I think it's really important. We have this conversation too. And, um, you know, when you're thinking about bringing somebody on, sometimes I think maybe the independent contractor or the renter is actually the right thing to do at first, especially if you have a new business and you're just starting to like grow it because you don't really have a bunch of funding to be able to flow employees, you know, for a year or whatever, until they really start making money in your business. So maybe doing that and then converting them over later is sometimes a better idea. It is. And, you know, you need to just be sure from the outset, if you get ICs, you cannot insist on them having a certain schedule. 
uh, every IC that I had there, they, we still, we weren't using online scheduling back then. We were still using, you know, a paper appointment book. Every IC that came to work there put um, a little box in the appointment book of when they were willing to be there as long as they had X amount of notice. Um, I never told anybody you have to work this day, that day or whatever. You cannot require your independent contractors to be scrubbing the floor and scrubbing the bathroom and all that. You're hiring them to do massage. They're coming in there to do massage. So um, if you have any doubts about that, the uh, IRS has a form SS8 on their website that you can submit to them and they'll determine based on the answers whether or not someone should be um, categorized as a as an independent contractor or as an employee so um, just just abide by the rules because if you do misclassify somebody as I said earlier that will come back on you as the employer it will not come back on them mm-hmm. and so IRS has gone after other professions and sooner or later they're going to figure out about us too Well, you know what they actually the IRS actually goes after audits small businesses uh, for instance, hairdressers, massage therapists, and that kind of thing that get a lot of cash payments, mm-hmm. they're more apt to audit us than they are to audit, you know, Amazon <laughs> yeah. because of yeah. those ca- because of those cash payments. Now, I actually last year got audited for the year 2013, and yeah. uh, I was happy that my eyes were dotted and my T's were crossed, you know. But it was a it was a mail audit, but it was still an audit, you know. It's conducted over mail, but um, I had to I had to send in documentation for 2013, and you may think that you know oh well I thought they could only go back three years or whatever heck no it's the IRS they can go back as far as they want. <laughs> yeah, I'm like that's a long time ago. It is a long yeah, time ago. They're never, if they get audited, it's not going to be for last year. Yeah, it's going to be four, five, six years ago. That's exactly right. So mm-hmm. you got to be sure you're doing things the legal way and the and the right way. Yeah, I told my students when I talk about the IRS and audits. And I'll say, you know, they can look at your uh, web browser history. If they're trying to figure out if that travel expense was a vacation or a trap, they're like, they can look at my browser history. I said, honey, they can look in your underwear drawer. (laughs) The IRS. (laughs) That's the truth. That is the truth. (laughs) And state revenue departments will do the same thing. And, uh, you know, contrary to popular belief, the IRS will usually work with people, you know, as far as setting up a payment plan for you or something like that. I, I have seen state revenue departments. I had a personal experience with one about 40 years ago when I was still in the restaurant business and I had bought an existing restaurant from someone. Uh, it was a, I, I bought their corporation. Well, they had been deducting tax money from their employees, but they hadn't been turning it over to the state revenue department. Oh, you know, something the IRS actually went to bat for me and and the IRS rep told the state rep and I had had this whole contract reviewed by an attorney and everything before I bought the business. But uh, the IRS was very nice to me, contrary to popular opinion. The tax person from the state of North Carolina, you would have thought that money came directly out of their pocket the way they were <laughs> acting. And and um, I, it took me a long time to pay them off. Um so don't don't mess with the tax people. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I have a funny story to tell about that. Before I was a massage therapist, I was a technical writer, which means I wrote user guides. And my company had a contract. This was back in the mid 80s, okay? 
They had a contract with the IRS to develop what it would be today would be an app for a laptop, but something they could carry into the field with them that they could do a lot of record keeping and stuff on something on site, getting away from so much paper. So I'm working with the IRS agents who are subject matter experts to write the user guide and they're telling us stories about different audits. And here's the thing, an experienced IRS auditor can come into your home, look around and pretty closely tell you how much money you need to be making to afford the lifestyle you've got. And they'll know if you're hiding a big chunk of change. So those people whose tips maybe go in a shoebox in the back of the closet, if it's a big enough chunk of your income, a good IRS auditor could come in and go, something's missing. This person does not make enough money to afford their lifestyle. I will. I, I want to add one thing to that, Kelly, because I think this is important. I had a therapist on my staff for a long time who trained all of her clients to tip her in cash. <laughs> now, you know what? She was an IC. She made her own appointment. She took her own money and everything, you know, but she she got tipped very, very well. She was in a and, and she was hiding that income. You know, she was not paying tax on that income. She got into a very serious car accident and went to file for disability. You know what? It's based she, on your she could, income. She could not claim all the income she made because she wasn't reporting all the income she made. And her disability payments were way, way less than what her income had been. So nobody expects to run their Jeep off in the middle of a river. <laughs> but that's exactly what happened. And, you know, she realized, unfortunately, after She's the fact, I, I shouldn't have been hiding my tips because it was a substantial portion of my income. And now I'm without it. So let that be a lesson to everybody. Yeah, you hiding know. your cash tips is a short term gain for a long term cost. That's right. Mm -hmm. That is right. It's harder to get cost. loans. It's harder to yes. get a mortgage. Like you need to report that stuff. So yep. yeah, if you're trying to make your, if you don't want to pay taxes, that's a whole nother conversation I'm not going to get into you with. <laughs> but as a self-employed person, when somebody is looking at loaning you money or disability, they're looking at your tax form. How much did you report as income on your taxes? And if you're real proud of how small that amount is, you're <laughs> trying to get a car loan. Uh, yeah. A car loan. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, the last thing I think I want to touch on is um, keeping your employees happy. I feel like this is something that we need to talk about. There are a lot of employees out there right now that I know probably aren't too happy. Um, and how do we do that? What are some of the like maybe top three tips for keeping your employees and your staff happy and engaged in your business? Number one is I'd say hire well. I mean, there I had a I had a, some posts about this a couple of weeks ago because everybody's looking for massage therapists and these ads are all the same. Oh, this is a wonderful place to work. Here's how much we pay. Here's the dates and hours we want you. Please call us. I'm like that is, that's called any warm body. Kind of hiring. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yep. And, and they're complaining because it's not working. 
So think about who's a good fit for you. And not just from your point of view, but from their point of view. It's a lot like dating, okay? Figure out who you're a good match for and who you're not a good match for. And don't go, well, I just don't want somebody who doesn't care about massage. Yet nobody's sitting out there looking at those ads going, well, I don't care about massage. I need a job where people don't care about the fact that I don't care about massage. But seriously, if you're very, if you're very anatomy nerdy in your practice, you need to look for an anatomy nerd. If you are all about the client, like the environmental experience, it's low lights, it's water sounds, you got to have somebody who fits into that. So first and foremost, figure out kind of like a dating profile, who do you want? Who's a good fit for you? And that's number one in having a happy employee is having the right employee. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I want to say that in all my years in business, I never made one single therapist give me an audition massage. <laughs> I hired people. I hired people based on their personality and their um, concern for customer service. I wanted people who were customer service oriented. Now, what I would do is put them with a client, you know, a longstanding client and um, have them massage the client, which they got paid for. Mm -hmm. And then, then I would ask the client, you know, well, what did you think of that? Um, and I, I really don't remember ever turning anyone down because the fact is, honey, I can teach a monkey how to give a massage. I cannot <laughs> teach people how to be friendly. And, you know, it, it, it's care. a personality thing with some people. So um, I always hired people based on their personality and their obvious excitement for massage. You know, something that my, my thing on massage, when I went to work at that school as the administrator, you know, I would see, I saw people the first day I was at work there, they were coming in, they were looking like, you know, and an hour later, they were walking out looking so much more relaxed and pain-free and everything. And I thought, God, that must be the best job in the world, helping people feel better. <laughs> and, and that's what made me go to massage school. I mean, I had not considered going to massage school. I, I went, she had a weekend program for people that worked. And I signed up for that thing immediately based on, you know, what I saw going on of, of people wow. just coming out the door, praising the massage therapist and everything. And I thought that has to be a fabulous job. So um, that's you know, I still enjoy doing massage. I can't do what I used to do. Oh. If, uh, you know, I just can't, I, I can't hold up. My hands will not hold up because I've spent the last many years sitting here typing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, get people who are passionate about it. That's, that's my best advice is yeah. personality yeah. and passion and everybody will be happy. I was always very happy with the atmosphere in my office of everybody working together and everybody getting along well with each other and that kind of thing. I didn't want any divas in there. You know, I didn't want anybody that thought they were any better than anybody else or whatever. So um, I think I chose carefully over the years and, and was blessed to have a lot of very good people. Girl, I love that. I preach that too. So hard. Like I have worked with therapists who were absolutely incredible massage therapists, but then they just like poison the entire place. Oh no. Because, you, you know, it was like one therapist, <laughs> I'll tell you a little story. Um, 
there was a, uh, a lady that I worked with and she was a brilliant massage therapist. All her customers loved her. She was absolutely amazing. I got massages by her. I was like, I would go see her every day, but in the break room, she was like, your hot stone massages aren't right. This isn't the right temperature. This stuff is wrong. You're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. And it happened every single day. And I was just like, what do mm. I do with her? You know, and it was very hard decision to sit down with her and have these conversations with her all the time. Like, like, I love you in on this hand, but on this hand, this is very difficult. And I don't think I can work with you anymore. You know, I fired, I fired two people in 13 years and, and both of them were fired over attitude problems. And one of them was so strange it happened to be a male therapist and, and, uh, while as in most places, the majority of therapists were female, but I almost always had a male therapist on my staff. And, uh, um, the day that he came in and applied for a job, I was so impressed with his upbeat personality and, you know, just gung ho and all this. And within a few days, I noticed that when he got out of his car in the parking lot, I could tell, Oh God, he's in some kind of bad mood. So, you know, a couple of days after him, coming in and kind of acting standoffish and snobby and all that kind of stuff. I called him to the side and I said, I said, has, has something happened? Um, you know, I said, has something, is something going on with you that's, that's affecting you? And he went, no, why? And I said, well, you know, when I hired you, I said, you seem to be, uh, have a real bubbly personality and customer service oriented. And, and, uh, I said, you know, in the past few days, you've just totally changed. And he said, well, this is my personality and this is what it is. And I said, well, you're fired because I don't have room for that personality. <laughs> I mean, and, yeah. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, but here's keeping people happy. When there's a problem, talk to them. Yes. Because, you know, we are, we are an extremely conflict avoiding profession. Yeah. We want to make everybody feel good because that is literally our job. Mm-hmm. And so... If you don't talk to somebody with a problem until it has grown to the size of a mountain, you're not doing anybody any favors. That's right. So you want to keep your client, you want to keep your therapist happy, learn how to deal constructively with conflict, small conflict, large conflict, learn how to get comfortable with being the boss and having those conversations when they need to happen. In the moment. Six months later, (laughs) Mm -hmm. not six months later. I would also occasionally just have a meal catered in for all the staff, Mm -hmm. you know, so we could all sit down and eat lunch together and we would have a little, we would have a little meeting. I would just put a sign up on the bulletin board that said, uh, I'm ordering lunch for everybody on Wednesday, whatever. And, you know, um, we'll, we'll have some good food and have a conversation if there's anything you want to bring up and that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And so that, that always served me well. Yeah. Yeah. I will say too, like, um, as a therapist, I've worked a lot, you know, I've been the therapist that works like 40, 42 hours a week, you know, and experiencing burnout. And when you get burnt out, you get pissed off, you know, you're shorter with your clients, you're shorter with the people that are around you. And, and I think that business owners, I would hope would start really learning to recognize that, um, you know, and make sure they have some action steps that they can take to help their staff with that kind of burnout. Like, you know, I think that they noticed it with me. Um, but 
it wasn't like, oh, well, let's take a couple of days off or, um, you know, let's reduce your schedule a little bit. And I tried to move my schedule around a little bit and it still didn't really work because I was working just longer days and, and less days, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's really hard to deal with that. And, uh, you know, if you're not a, if you're not a massage therapist running a massage business, I feel like that's one of those things. Maybe you don't really understand as much. Um, yeah you know, cause you don't really know about that until you actually experience it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I apologize for my dog barking. It's sleeting. <laughs> it's sleeting and I can't put her outside. <laughs> All right. No big deal. She quickly turned into a statue and then be very quiet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think having healthy boundaries with your staff, remembering you're not their best friend, you're their boss. Yeah. And you can develop a friendly, healthy working relationship, but the more you don't want there to be a boundary between you and their therapists, the more you create an environment where it's really hard when you have to be the boss. Maybe there's a conflict and you have to deal with it, but you've been their best buddy. You're just one of them, except now you have to step into the boss role and it's not good. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like that starting somebody out at a lower salary so you have room to grow start out with stronger boundaries with your therapist so that as time grows and you learn the people you can soften where appropriate mm -hmm. but that's, that's good advice tough if you come in as a massage therapist now managing massage therapists and this isn't unique to us this is every profession when you are now managing the people you used to work with or you used to be making that shift that mental shift is hard and if you don't have somebody kind of talk you through to help you out with it, you're going to screw it up. Let's just put that out there. You're going to screw it up. Yep. But think in terms of harder boundaries in the beginning, harder, more firm, more exacting boundaries so that you can soften up later when it's okay to do that. Mm -hmm. That's a really they want good you advice. To be the boss. They really do want you to be the boss because otherwise they'd be working for themselves. That's good true. advice. Yeah. Well, the last thing I wanted to say is uh, Jimmy Gialillis, he actually, Laura mentioned you on our podcast last time he was talking about your books, um, your business books, and he sent in a little um, comment for us. And he said that he wanted to hear more about determining your niche. So let's speak to that just a little bit and kind of give Jimmy what he was looking for. Well, you know what? Um, when I opened my business, I wanted my niche to be everybody. I did not want to, I, I didn't want to exclude people. Now, I truly did not have, uh, although I had the desire to focus on getting people out of pain, like I mentioned when we first started today about adding on a few spa treatments because there was a demand for those. So um, I had a, a big variety, ended up having a big variety of therapists and services there. So I felt that my niche was everybody. But some people do desire to have a very niche practice, like only working with pregnant women or, you know, working, doing geriatric massage or um, lymphatic massage or something of that nature. You know, that is a, definitely a niche practice. And even though I live in a small town, I, I had enough business to support bringing those people here. So you decide what your, what your niche is, if you want one, if you want to run a um, a general, you know, massage practice and not put a label or a limitation on that of, oh, I only work with people who have this, or I only work with adults. And I don't want to see, I, I don't want to see males in my practice or, or something. I mean, I've heard it all after all this time. 
Um, so if, if you truly want to niche, find out if there's a demand for it. Now, you know something, the oncologist here in town that I've visited many times with my previous husband, he has this education room in his practice. That room was full of brochures for lymphatic massage, but all the people doing it were PTs. There wasn't one single brochure from a massage therapist in there. And I actually said to him, I said, you know, I have someone on my staff who is certified in Botter uh lymphatic drainage and is it okay if we put our brochures in here and he said sure so if you're seeking some sort of niche practice like that go for it otherwise look at it as if everyone that you uh everyone that you encounter is a candidate for massage y'all know being here from north carolina that we say how you doing as mm -hmm. a greeting <laughs> there are people who will stop right there and tell you how they're doing and they yeah. will give it to you in great detail <laughs> so, um, so, you know, something I used to always make a point to, I always had my business cards, which some people think are obsolete. I don't think they, they are because not everybody's walking around wanting to put your number in their cell phone. Um, I always had business cards in my car, business cards in my jacket pockets and all that kind of thing. And if I saw some harried mother in the grocery store, you know, I would just say, you look like you could really use a massage <laughs> and hand her a card. Or I would hand someone, you know, you're somewhere every day. You're waiting in line somewhere. You're waiting in a waiting room or something. I, I gave strangers cards all the time. And I did not get immediate return from that necessarily. And somebody would somebody would call me up, you know, and say, I know you don't remember me, but I was talking to you in the driver's license office and you gave me your card. Can I get an appointment? So, um, you know, I felt like my my market was my target market was everybody. But if you want a specific target market and a specific niche, you can certainly cultivate that if you have the, the skills um, and and there's a demand for what you do. So mm -hmm. you have to sort of create that demand by talking to a lot of people about what you do. <laughs> So I'll be 62 this year, Laura. So you and I are pretty much right on target. And I yeah. discovered about 10 years ago that I was tired of doing the heavier work. Yeah. What we have called deep tissue. Yeah. And I started moving towards modalities that used lighter pressure and were easier on my body. Myofascial release and lymph drainage were the two biggies. Yep. Me, and some scar release work. I ended up in a, in a knit, I mean, I will work on a lot of people, but when I really, when I'm really promoted, it's Kelly's great with myofascial release. Kelly's great with lymph drainage. Kelly's a good one to go to for scars. Um, and it's not like a hardcore thing. Like that's all I want to do, but that's what I highlight in my marketing is this the stuff I'm really good at. I'm, we joke yep. in the practice I'm in, like, She's a heavy hands therapist. She's a light hands therapist. Yeah. You know, depending on what you want. My, I did develop a niche for myself. You know, something as my business grew and grew and grew, I backed off more and more from personally taking appointments and was focused on managing the business. But I have always, I, I persuaded my dentist to come and get TMJ massage for me while, I, while we were practicing it in massage school. He sent people to me for the next 16 years. Yeah. you know, and, and I loved personally doing that. So that became my personal niche within yeah. my business. I had a variety of therapists that were trained in a variety of things. So um, everybody had their own little thing. And some people just wanted to do massage. 
they did not, you know, they weren't going, well, I'm only doing deep work or I'm only doing light work or that kind of thing. Some of, some of them were your general, you know, all-purpose massage therapists GPs, that yeah. just loved doing massage. I personally loved doing TMJ work and that became my personal niche. So if you, you want a niche, it needs to be something that you truly, truly love. Yeah, it's got to be something and, you enjoy doing. Yes, absolutely. Something that you enjoy doing all the time. Well, and you yeah. pointed out something else about niching is you are probably going to have to do build what we call a word of mouth network with other professionals. You got to reach out to the dentist. You got to reach out to maybe the functional, functional there. There's a, there's a functional physician or something. I mean, there are, the more you want to niche, there may be professionals you need to make contact with. And that may be more than just you drop some cards off the office and you don't actually talk to them. You've, you've got to make connections because the more sort of technical your niche, the more you want those people sending people to you, you want that relationship and you want to be able to send people to them. Somebody comes to me to, to, with TMJ because I do that as well. At some point, I'm going to go, you know something? You need an orthodontist because there's something going on. There is a structural issue, hard, yeah. bony structural issue right. that I can't deal with. Here's a, here's a name. <coughs> so hmm. that's another part of niche is being willing and comfortable reaching out to other professionals that are associated with your niche. And y'all know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a research nerd on massage research. Uh, one of the things that I used to do very regularly every month, our local hospital, which was just conveniently right up the road from my office, um, every month they had this thing called lunch and learn. They would actually give you a bag lunch if you would go listen to Dr. So-and-so talk about whatever the topic of the month was. So I would make it a point to find some research on whatever that doctor was talking about. You go to PubMed, you can type in uh, massage plus fibromyalgia, for example. You know, type that in. You'll immediately come up with some articles, find a good one, find some good studies. I would go to those lunch and learns just to meet the doctor. And when it was when his talk was over with, they always hang around for a few minutes, you know, to talk to people that were there listening. And I would just say, hey, I'm Laura Allen. I own Therasage right down the road. And we have several therapists there that deal with people with fibromyalgia. Uh, and I would I'd go, here's a research study on massage, the efficacy of massage with fibromyalgia. I never had one single doctor hand me the paperback or act like I was being rude or overstepping anything or whatever. And as I said, about 20% of my business were doctor referrals. We got doctor referrals as far away from Asheville which is covered up in massage therapists. One of my friends mm -hmm. said, you can't swing a cat up there without hitting a massage therapist in the yeah. head. But we yes. were getting, we were getting doctor referrals mm -hmm. from Asheville, which is 45 miles away because we cultivated that and, and cultivated doctor referrals. So yeah, find your niche and enjoy yourself. <laughs> that's right. That's awesome. I know I have kind of said that I'm one of those people. I like, I feel like a, a well-rounded massage therapist. I like to do all the things. Um, you know, and when I was looking to hire people, I wanted more people that could do all the things, but there were so many people that were like, nah, I just do deep tissue or I just do this, or I just do that. And that was fine. You know, we did not hire those people, but 
um, you know, I guess I kind of found over time that I want to have variety in my work and it's okay if you want to have variety in your work too. You know, Mm -hmm. I just like to do a lot of different things every day. It helps my body feel better. Um, you know, I'm not doing the same repetitive movements all the time. So, you know, if you don't niche, it's fine. (laughs) You know, everybody's going to preach it to you because it's easier to market to a niche. I think, you know, but you you don't have to, right. (laughs) There's a place for the general practitioner. Yeah. In the medical world and in our world, there's an absolute place for the medical practitioner. There's a place mm-hmm. for the specialist. There's a place for the general practitioner. Yeah. And we all got to be covered. Yeah. We all got to be out there. We got to respect our work. We got to respect what we have to offer. Yes, absolutely. All right, ladies. Well, I just want to thank you both for coming on the show. I really appreciate you both being here. I think this was an awesome episode. You guys have so much knowledge. I could talk to you all day. <laughs> I appreciate it. Massage therapists to talk to each other and we will talk all day. I know. Right. right? So Laura, tell us how can people find you? Like what's your website? Tell us a little bit about how we can find your information. It's lauraallenmt.com. And, um, my class schedule is on there. I've only been doing online for the past couple of years, but 2022, I actually have some things scheduled already that are hopefully going to happen if COVID behaves. (laughs) And so uh, my books and and there's also links to my articles. And if you have purchased one of my books, uh, some of them have ancillaries that go along with them that are on the website. All you have to do is put in a password and they'll, you'll get to that. So um, lauraallenmt.com. All right. And Kelly, what about you? I am at healingartsbizacademy.com. I've also got a bunch of videos up on YouTube if you want to get a sense of the kind of things I teach and the kind of things I talk about, got a bunch of videos up on YouTube. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm, you know, in the usual places, but YouTube and Facebook, if you're doing the social media thing is the easiest way to learn about what I've got to offer or head to the website, healingartsbizacademy.com. All right. Well, it was so great having you both. I learned so much from both of you over the last year, just listening to you, talking to you, having you on things. So thank you very much for being here. And I really appreciate it. And we will talk to you both again soon. And thank you for creating this opportunity, Stephanie. This was, this was a lot of fun. And to have one-on-one time with Laura Allen is a blessing all unto itself. It oh, is. It was good to be here with, with all three of us Carolina girls. There you go. That's right. There you go. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today on the USO LMT Massage Podcast. We hope that you found this episode fun and informative. You can be a part of the making of our podcast by joining Massage Therapists Redefining the Future on Facebook, where you'll be able to choose the topics that we discuss and send in questions to be answered on the show. Check us out at www.usolmt.com. Follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook at USOLMT. Join our Facebook group, Massage Therapists Redefining the Future. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at USOLMTMassageOrg. Also, let us know if you have any questions or would like more information by writing us at be the change at USOLMT.com. Also, be sure to check out the video description down below for links to the resources that we discussed on the channel. If you're listening um, on Spotify or just listening to one of our audio podcasts, please go over to YouTube um, and visit the video and check out the links that we have there for you with all of the resources. Also, please subscribe to our audio and our video podcast for further episodes. Thank you so much for watching and for listening, and we'll see you next time.